Hi, my name is Kirby Ingalls, and you're listening to the True Success Podcast. My goal is to help you find true success by helping you live a rich and satisfying life, a life full of happiness and meaning, and becoming a pillar of your community. This podcast is designed to inspire you to write a new narrative, revolutionize the way we live, and create a ripple effect that resonates with future generations. I recently had a conversation with my good friend Ben Coley, who's a U.S. Marine veteran turned blogger, life coach, speaker, and now podcaster, and he seeks to bring home military veteran dads to their families. He's hanging out up there in Milton, Wisconsin with his beautiful wife and three beautiful children. Ben went through what most military transitioning veterans go through, and that's having to redefine their identity rediscover their passion and purpose for life. One day, a seminar changed all that for him, and he realigned himself to his passion for leadership. Since then, he has been on this mission to master leadership principles and to use his passion for leadership to help other dads understand not only who they are, but develop the skills to overcome adversity and own their life and choices and truly I mean truly come home to their families and their life. Ben brings this message of hope and friendship that has been left out of today's conversation and I am personally a witness of what Ben does and can testify to that because I spent three days with him at the Military Influencer Conference and he really touched my heart. So I don't want to keep you waiting any longer so let's listen in on the conversation. Hey, I just want to welcome Ben Colloy to the podcast today. And I've asked Ben to come on because Ben actually encouraged me to do this podcast. So I've been toying around with this idea of playing with podcasts for several years now and really just been considering it over the last couple of years. But it wasn't until we actually went to the Military Influencer Conference in D.C. this past September in 2019 and we had a long conversation over the course of the weekend because we were roommates. And he really emphasized me the importance of podcasting and that I had the ability to do this and I had the, you know, the time to do it. Through his encouragement and his impression upon me, this is the reason why this podcast exists. And I wanted to honor Ben today by making him guest number one on the True Success Podcast. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you, Kirby. And that was very, uh, we really got to know each other over those three days. They're just the uh, conversations and diving into each other's uh, passions and missions. And I still think about that often about what you're doing. And I, I believe podcasting more and more, even more since I talked to you at MIC. And I couldn't be more happier for you the for you to have the true success, true success podcast out there. Because People need to hear what Kirby Ingalls has to say, and the other mediums just don't give you the access that a podcast can give you to your audience. Yeah, I appreciate that, Ben, and I I really do appreciate your support. But you know, this is this is about you today, and I know you've had me on your podcast, the Military Veterans Dad Podcast, and we actually had this conversation about how we hooked up, and neither one of us can remember how we ran across from each other. I assume it was through some dads group on Facebook somewhere. And you probably saw something that I had posted or something. I still don't know how we hooked up. I think it was something, it was your very first Facebook group that you launched. Somehow, 
that came into my feed. And then I started just kind of interacting with your posts back then. That was like almost two years ago, probably. Um, I don't think we ever went past flirting for almost a year. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. No, I really liked your podcast, you, because you were talking about military veteran dad. It's a, that's a really special niche to me because obviously I'm a 23 year veteran of the army and, uh, you're obviously, you're Marine gotten to know each other, I guess over the last year, year and a half now, the biggest thing, you know, I took away from that. Uh, and you had also mentioned it in the podcast when we started talking about legacy. And I think that kind of ignited something inside of me also. And you had said something to me after the podcast was over about that was an interesting take on legacy and, and perspective. And it kind of made you pivot a little bit. And as I began to kind of think about that and go back and listen to that episode every once in a while, because I, I try to study you know, what actually <laughs> came out of my mouth and then the conversations and what I was feeling about that, I really thought that there was something there. And I think that there's something missing that needs to be a bigger conversation. That's really what the True Success Podcast is, is it's creating this ripple effect that lasts potentially two or three generations. And I think that's important today because in America, you see rarely very few third or fourth generation small businesses. And I think that is, is because we lose sight of the original vision of the founder of that business. And I also see that with families. I just think that we're losing the sight. We're losing that vision of why, why we are here, you know, why we exist and the purpose and our calling. Uh, for example, me, you know, my grandparents always told me about, you know, my upbringing and how my family came across to America and the story. And I found a lot of purpose and meaning in that story. And it kind of told me about my calling and it spoke to me and allowed me to kind of push forward. And as I, after I got off your podcast, I really began to think more about that. And I think that's become the theme of my life is trying to encourage people to pursue more of a purpose driven, uh, mission driven legacy and, and leave something for their children, uh, for other people. And maybe if they don't have a family, maybe they leave an impact, not just for their communities and, and doing something that's really just bigger than yourself. I think what you're hitting there, there's something that happened, I think, within business in the last 40 years, where businesses from a child perspective, or just at work, work was something that made mommy and daddy mad. And I think if you even if you owned a business, even if you didn't have just have an eight to five job, even if you owned a business, I think the way the culture has evolved to view business, and the way they understand how they can create a lifestyle versus be a prison I think kids and generations saw the change in their parents as this doesn't look like something I want to choose for myself because they don't look happy. That businesses lost how to create a flourishing culture within them, even a small business that actually was something that people wanted to come to. And instead, I think kids started realizing that's not the life that I want. So they started breaking from those traditions. But I think it comes back, we, we get the priorities wrong. Like, you don't go to work just to do work and you don't start a business just for a business. You start work to create an amazing family and fulfill your legacy. And all of those are tied together. Yeah. I think you made a good point there with the, the priorities because that was one of the things that I kind of focus in on my coaching practice is that in the vision is, is you have to know what your values are. You have to know what your values are and embed those in what you do. And you have to live and breathe those every single day. And I, that's what I see is I see that loss of perspective, that loss of priorities and importance, you know, 
and that's why it's become very important to me because I want my children to be on fire. You know, I want them, mm-hmm. you know, in like I am an Ingalls through and through, you know, and I want to make my parents proud and I want to continue to drive this legacy home. And, you know, if they choose to go on a different path, I mean, we've all gone through that before where, you know, we've had that moment in our life where we veered off. That's fine. You know, I'm okay with that, but at least, you know, um, that, you know, we made that effort and they consciously made that decision. And I'm, I'm totally okay with that. So I'm not saying, that, you know, they have to continue to run this business because I didn't create this business for them. I created mm-hmm. it for myself. However, if it's something that they want to pick up, I'd, I'd be more than tickled to think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it's that you have to model something that this is something can create joy. Yeah. And right now in 2020 work is kind of evolving, but most people view it as something that does not bring joy. Yeah, you're right. You know, and everybody has their own perspectives and passions and pursuits, you know, and I, I really do. You know, one, one of the things that I'm going to tell my children, because um, I was, you know, when I was growing up, my parents and my grandparents actually uh, wanted me to go in the military, you know, and they continue to tell me since I was like 12 years old, they kept planting those seeds. And I did. And I'm very grateful for that opportunity and that encouragement. But I'm when my kids get to the right age, I will try to encourage them to kind of do what they feel and explore the world and understand their passions and their different strengths and experiences. And before they actually rope themselves into like a 20, 23, 40 year career and something mm-hmm. that, and making sure it's something that they enjoy and they're passionate about. And what you just said on there is another big point that as fathers, and this is what I, I love about being military dads, we have a depth and view of the world that less than 1% of the American population has. And if we can give that depth to our kids and ensure that they have a very wide view of the American dream, we can really give them the gift of knowing who they want to be in the world versus like graduating high school and feeling lost or going with the default program. And then realizing when you're 35 that I think I signed up to the wrong program. Like we have the ability to expose our kids to a world that most people don't even understand. And that depth can change a child's view on how they fit into it. And that's something that I love about military fatherhood and what we have to bring to the table. That's awesome. So I'm going to shift perspectives on you and we're going to dive more into your story. So tell me about how you grew up and, you know, what it was like. So I grew up on a country farm in just south of Madison, Wisconsin. And that farm was, it was isolated. It was about a mile back from the road. Not a lot of friends back then. My, I often describe my grandmother was my first best friend because my grandma and grandpa bought the farm like 1969 finished raising their family, and then my dad took it over. And then they built a house at the end of the driveway, and then my dad moved into his house, which is where I was raised. And then, so my grandma was off, always there on the end of the bus, always get ready to get on the bus, no matter what, she was always there in the summer. I often, recently, I've kind of described it, it was like always like a warm chocolate chip cookie. Grandma's house probably always had cookies, but it was always something you could go to, and you always felt safe. And so that was kind of, my constant into the universe all through my life, I would say that was always there. And for even a quick example is uh, in 4-H, I learned to sew in 4-H before I did really any of the other woodworking type stuff in 4-H because that's, I was down at my grandma's and she was a sewer and we we sewed. And also my sisters were sewing. So I'm a, I'm a single, I'm a two sisters and one brother. So that also influenced my world. Um, I did get a neighbor friend that became my best friend in third grade, and we pretty much were friends through high school, still are friends. Um, but that lack of friends really was an underlying theme that was on autopilot, and I really didn't understand what was happening. But that really caused me to lose my identity. 
And what I mean by that is I would really never feel confident in who I was. I never felt that trust and just like stoic almost feeling. And I would always be someone that I had to be to be someone. I would be the Abby to be around these kind of guys. I would be a different type of person to be in that group. And I had so many personalities going inside. I really had no idea who I was. And then fast forward a little bit forward in high school, I was going to go into the Air Force. I didn't feel like college fit. That program just didn't feel right for me. And I was ready to go to the Air Force. I wanted computers. I didn't want to shoot stuff up. So I pretty much crossed off all the rest of them. And the Marine recruiters at our church picnic with the bouncy house. And that bouncy house was my, my, my ending. It was over the moment I saw him. Because my mom was nervous. So she went over first because I was too scared. And so she started talking. And then I come over and little I find out Marine Corps has all the other jobs that every other branch has. And I'm talking to him in the guidance officer office on Tuesday. And then two weeks later, I'm raising my right hand for the Marine Corps, which was probably the scariest thing and the, probably the most courageous thing I've ever done because it, I would have been least likely voted to join the Marine Corps. Um, and that was kind of like my dare to be great moment. And I've measured a lot of my life since then uh, by that moment that it was kind of like my defining moment. Like even getting out of the military for me, I felt like I was I had something else to do in this world and the Marine Corps was going to hold it back. And I didn't have any idea what that meant. I had no idea. I just knew I couldn't shoot and I couldn't run. And these are things that help propel you in the Marine Corps. And I wasn't good at them. So I'm like, I'm going to find a place where I can grow and thrive on my own terms. But that really took 17 years to get into that sweet spot where I am now. There was probably 10 years of being completely lost, getting a college degree on the other side, dropping out, failing at College of Engineering. Then I got drunk on self-help books for about three years. Then I dove into kind of a side hustle space. And then it drove into having a podcast for military fathers because I would tell my story and my passion to be a father and I would make people cry. And I was like, okay, I need to make this a podcast. And then fast forward to two weeks ago where I, I, my position at work was eliminated and now I'm on the cusp of my next biggest transition in life, which is probably just as big as I feel when I left the Marine Corps, because now I'm going all in on my next ambition, which is public speaking, which is something that I've been training for for three years without really fully being conscious of it. And I'm ready to take that leap and jump into it and see what else I can make from this next opportunity. Well, that's amazing. So going back, you had my life story in 10 minutes. Yeah, that's awesome. Got a couple expanding questions for you, then. So I'm what? sure you have more than just a couple. <laughs> I know you too well. Yeah. So, so what was it? So what was it like for you? You know, what, what did you think you were going to do when you, when you got older? You know, what was that? What, what did you think your life was going to be like before you even imagined the Marine Corps? Because we all have these aspirations as children, you know, and some of us wanted to be astronauts and some of us wanted to be basketball players and all these different things. And then at some point in time, that changed for us. What was it that, you know, you thought your life was going to be like? I don't know if I ever let the curiosity grow, but my childlike curiosity would have said to be an airplane pilot. Something about that, even today, I am a little kid when I talk about airplanes. Mm -hmm. I spend way too much time studying it. I study all the news. I study failures. I study crashes, pretty much everything. Airplanes would have been something, and it's something I haven't been, really been able to fill other, or even really touch other than traveling and being on an airplane is still an awesome place for me to be. But that would be my childlike curiosity that I thought I would be in. 
know, we kind of had some conversations about your uh, love of airplanes and you have an app <laughs> on your phone that you actually tell your talk children where the actual plane is. Yeah, the, the they always, planes flying over. They'll be like, Daddy, where's the plane coming from? And I'll look it up and say, yeah, it's coming from Las Vegas on its way to Milwaukee. That's pretty cool. I mean, and after you get good at it, you can pretty much predict, oh, it's a Southwest plane. It's about the right time of day. It's probably Las Vegas to Milwaukee. Yeah, that's pretty cool because, you know, now, you know, going back to our earlier conversation, what that tells me is you're sharing your passions with your children and they're kind of excited about that, you know, and you're showing your My son absolutely loves airplanes now. And um, even something as simple as lifting weights, the same thing. I just started, I had a massive fear of the gym leaving the Marine Corps a failure and just not being good enough with it, but I conquered it. And now I'm on the other side of that. And as I go to the gym, my son is every time he gets a new pair of shoes, he's always like talking about how fast he can run because daddy runs and he wants to be as fast as daddy. So as you talk about this and, and sometimes you don't need to talk about it, you just need to do it and they'll want to be like it. Especially if you have the habit at these younger ages where they're so impressionable, that's the critical part. Like this wouldn't work if they were 10 or 11 because they've already got habits and they've already got some view of the world. But when they're five, like my son, everything is amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I remember that age too. And I, I have my six-year-old and I have a four-year-old and they're, you know, those two boys, they just, their imagination. And some of the things that they say to me sometimes, I'm just like, how did you figure that out? Or, you know, how'd you come up with that? Cause I'm trying curious on how their mind works now. So that's pretty interesting. So that, here's a good tangent question. Uh-huh. I still haven't dissected it, but I was amazed at what my daughter said. So my daughter is seven years old. Uh-huh. She's extremely smart, way too smart for her own good. And I was reading an article about Trump. And so the impeachment is just wrapping up. So I was reading about it. And he had a, like a really horrible, they put a really horrible picture on it. And my daughter was like, um, who's that? And I was like, the president of the United States. And she's like, why do some people hate him and some people like him? And I was like, there's a lot of different opinions about that. And she's like, well, I asked your opinion. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. <laughs> man that's yeah that's amazing yeah my, was like, my four had that intuition there that was crazy right there yeah my four the on moments me. like that that's crazy so you know obviously we don't have children without spouses and so when did you first meet your spouse were you in the military were you out of the military you know how did that how did that happen so i did all of my time in okinawa i never saw any time in iraq or afghanistan and so being over there i knew that it wasn't where i wanted to try to find true love i would say so I really just put my life on hold. I just kind of hunkered down, waited my time, enjoyed it, had fun. Um, and so when I got out of the Marine Corps, that's when I really started dating. So I got out in August of 2007 and had about two girlfriends uh, on the outside of that fairly quickly. But then by March, I was on the other side of those two girlfriends. And a girl at work uh, felt sorry for me because I was such a nice guy. And she's like, "Need someone needs to date you. So she knew this woman, a girl that was uh, getting off of a four-year horrible breakup and decided to put us together and brought us up to her house and apartment. And then we met and then we, we had, I was a little bit biased because my apartment was in her college town where she went to school. So my apartment was a good place for her to go while she was in between classes. So that kind of helped keep her closer to me during those first few months. And then... I think it was maybe six or seven months later that I, I had already started building a house that March. And then when I moved into it in the fall, we moved in together. And so I want to ask you, so you've, you've been married for a while. So what critical or important lessons have you learned 
during those relationships? Too many to do in a short podcast. I would say, <laughs> I, I honestly, so we've been married, this will be our 10th year. And the one that I've just been reflecting on recently and really digging into mm-hmm. is I've always been trapped by this word masculinity. I've never understood it. Mm-hmm. I've heard people talk about it. I've just never felt an understanding of it, of how I could be that person that they were talking about. It would, it would just be something too confusing for me to conceptualize. And I can understand a lot of different things. I'm usually a pretty good learner, but this one was just too close to me to fully see. But then I was doing some deep work and I realized that essentially the best description I've learned to kind of help me get through it was that masculinity is the oak tree in the middle of a storm. And that's what your wife will bring you. That's what your any woman will bring you as a test of whether you're going to be there. They're going to continue to test to see if you're going to run. And it took me almost probably 10 years to get into that mindset of testing an oak tree that whatever they're bringing you isn't about you, but you need to be able to stand there in that storm and be there. And the most important part is continue to love through that storm. Mm. And it also hit me at the same time that part of my problem is I never fully felt loved through my life by not having friends, not having good people in my life, just feeling alone, like not having any community. Um, Maybe a quick side story. When I turned 30, I had my first midlife crisis and it was triggered by the Jay Leno leaving the Tonight Show because all these people came out to thank him for being in their life and all the opportunities that Jay gave. And I'm like, I don't know if anybody's going to say a single nice thing at my funeral. And because I didn't have anybody in my life mentally that was going to come and say, hey, I miss Ben Colloy now. And I was really in a dark spot from that. So then between 30 and 35, I'm in a completely different world. I have friends, community, whole nine yards, talk to people even now. But going back to that love part, I didn't unconditionally love myself, which made it unconditionally or harder to unconditionally love others. Because when you don't fully love yourself on the inside, you bring an emptiness to whatever you enter and you expect someone else to fill it up. And when you expect someone else to fill it up, you're always going to be usually left empty. Mm-hmm. That that's not how masculinity works. You have to show up full of yourself, not as like in a bad way, but full in the love way that you are okay. Everything that's happened, good, bad, and the ugly, you have to appreciate every ounce of it. And when you appreciate it, then marriage becomes like gravy. It's not the meat and potatoes that enhances your life. It doesn't create your life or it doesn't um, allow you to, co- to just exist. Like without your marriage, you're nothing. Like marriage enhances your life. It doesn't like, complete you type thing and you like there you need those desires for love but you need to be able to be okay and that's what helps the oak tree you stand there on your own withstand the storm the leaves blow off but the roots are deep and you just continue to love through that storm and remind yourself that it's not about you that there's some desire on the other side of that that you need to be there for on the other side of the storm and be that rainbow but so far, so often we just get caught up in reaction and sometimes we feel defeated. Sometimes we maybe feel demasculated either at work or it, there's a thousand reasons to be demasculated in 2020. All of these things make the oak tree that much weaker. And that's really been probably my big, 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 big uh, like crescendo or my, my Holland's opus at the end of my 10 year, first 10 years of understanding how I wasn't showing up in my own marriage and how I repositioning myself to do that correctly. No, that's, that's an interesting perspective. And I appreciate that. And I think part of that is, is that evolution as a married couple 
generally comes children. And so tell me about when you first found out that you were going to be a dad and what that felt like. So ours wasn't, it was, it was, it was as good as I would say it normally was, but it wasn't under the best circumstances. So we got married October of 2010 in June of 2011 her dad got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and by August he was gone. But when he was first diagnosed, he had a year to live. So the reason why we first started trying was to try to give him a grandchild before he died. Turns out we were pregnant, but he only was able to know for two weeks that he was going to be a grandfather before he passed. So it wasn't under the best circumstances, but it is under the circumstances. Nevertheless, that's how it went down. Um, I would say honestly that like, I don't know if I was fully present as I should have been for any of the first two moments of knowing or the excitement. But the third one, the one thing that I didn't realize what I was doing was um, when you find out the sex of your child, you don't realize it, that you separate the emotions of birth and this finding out the sex. And they're both emotional. Like you probably might cry in the ultrasound when you find out that you're having a boy or a girl. But when you find out at the same moment that you're getting ready to hold your first child, that was so much more powerful. And there was a more powerful love I felt for my wife because it was all combined. So it wasn't probably to the third one that I really got present with all the emotions and the gift of everything that it is for the childbirth. And that was something that um, I'm glad because it is one of almost my core memories. I reflect on that moment. I can relive it in my mind very easily and quickly. And it's one of those anchor memories that I, I use to grow my roots deeper. I think that's extremely important. And I'll be honest with you. I, uh, after five children, I still watered my eyes like I was watering the flowers outside at the birth of my child. That is like one of the most miraculous moments. And I don't know, it's just, there's just this deep feeling that takes, takes over your entire chest. It just, it's hard. I mean, you try to hold it back, but it's just like, stop, just let it go. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's special for my wife because she really sees me in a very vulnerable state at that time and, you know, how emotionally invested I am. And I, uh, it's, it's been, it's been great for our relationship, you know, that, and she, we still talk about it. She's like, you're going to cry like a baby when your daughter goes off to college. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. You're going to cry like a baby whenever you're going to give her away for the first time, you know? And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's those things, you know, those, and I think that, being a parent really gives you a different perspective, honestly, for me on human life, because now you have this gift, you're responsible for this. And it's like the most important responsibility, I think, that anybody can really bestow upon another person. And mm -hmm. it's incredible. So. And I think what you're also talking about is just the overall feeling that you have to feel. And single-handedly, this is what military dads suck at the most, is that in the military, your emotions will get you killed. And so you, your brain is hardwired to reroute every emotion you feel and counter it with adrenaline, that that's how you're going to survive. But adrenaline will not take you a shot, make a, create a solid memory when your child is being born or on the other side of parenthood, when your child is bringing you the nastiest storm of emotions that you can imagine, you're going to need to feel something because if you use adrenaline in that case, you're going to react with fear and, and stand back. But that's the exact opposite of what you need to do when you're a father. You need to feel what she's feeling with her and then help her feel it through. But you can't do that if your emotions get clogged in your heart. They need to flow through. Your piping needs to be clean. 
And all of that needs to be able to happen without much control. Like your emotions are an indicator of something in your life. A positive one tells you that you're on the right track. A negative one tells you that you need to make a change in your life. Even on the other side of my career transition, emotions, I've always had this deep emotion that like I can just get through another day at my work. And that it's just this is the way that it's supposed to be and I just need to suck it up. And on the other side, that emotion is now coming alive. And what that emotion was telling me is I needed freedom in my life and I was ignoring it. And I needed to listen to it a long, long time ago before I kept losing my position forcefully and now being on my own. But I should have had the courage to listen to that emotion. But if you can't listen to it, you can't. They're telling you what to do. Their, their emotions are meant to be felt and understood, not suppressed. And every emotion has some indication of what you should do in your life. How has being a parent changed you? Ooh, uh, how has a parent changed me? I would say at first you realize that it's not about you anymore, that you essentially have your heartbeat beating outside your body, running into walls and banging on each other and <laughs> punching each other in the face with your siblings. At the same time, you realize the gravity or the responsibility you have to create good adults and that these humans are watching you. And probably that's the one part that most parents don't really realize is when they're upset, their kids behave a certain way. Even I would say my kids have picked up bad habits from me. All of them are from them watching you. Like everything you do, they will model. And that's the part you really have to remember. Um, here in Wisconsin, it snowed recently and there's a good meme that I've seen that if you were to walk through a big snowdrift and leave footprints, and you're, you have to assume your child is going to follow in those footsteps and footprints because it's easier to learn that way. Make sure that those footprints are the exact ones you want them to follow. That's probably the biggest thing that's changed me is realizing that every action I have will be followed and maybe wrapping it up in another way. So I, I was on a, doing an episode of the podcast, and we were talking to a dad. And it hit me that I was like, you know that story of how a dad's always there with a shotgun when his daughter brings the first boy home? And I was like, I wonder if that's really triggered from the dad recognizing that he was the wrong father that he modeled for her daughter. Because girls go out into the world to find the man that their father was. And if you need a shotgun at the door, then you were the wrong man. And if you were the right man, she'll know exactly who to find because you were modeled that your entire life. Appreciate you sharing that because I, I think the same way. Um, you know, I, I, I would hope, <laughs> oh, I would hope that my daughter would go out and find a man better than me, you know, but I try to live up to the expectation of what the bar I will be yours though. They may find better, but the bar will be where you're at. So, yeah. and I hope so. Even how you I mean, show up in your marriage too. Like that's how she's going to assume it's supposed to be. And I realized that, you know, that was one of the things that I realized and that changed my perspective was, is how I treat other people is how my children see me. And then I need to set that example. And regardless if I'm mad or upset or I think somebody did me wrong, they see what I do every single day. And one of the things that I learned when I was actually in uh, a master's of counseling at Liberty University, we did a, a module on uh, childhood development. I did like an eight-week course on that. And children in, in the beginning of their lives learn by watching the observation and they're very observant. It's like, that's how they learn how to read. You turn the pages from left to right and they see your eyes go left to right and they see your finger go across, you know, and that's just one example of how children learn. They watch you walk, they watch you crawl, they watch you eat. So they learn everything from observation. It's not like it's instinctive. They just observe 
um, through trial and error and they learn how to do these things. Um, so it, I realized that like that impression, and I think it's, I can't remember the exact ages, but I think it's like between the ages of like three or four and um, I think it's nine or 10, that's, that's the most impressionable age. And usually behaviors and attitudes and a lot of other things are developed during that time frame, And that's pretty much stays with them. You know, it's something like 65 or 70 percent of a kid's personality is already set by age seven. Yeah, so it's it's an interesting perspective. And I think you 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 know this for 100 percent. Well, you've had the awareness of it. When you have multiple kids, you realize the power of coaching, because the power of coaching happens because you you start following and getting guidance from people ahead of you. That's exactly what your siblings are doing, or mm-hmm. that your kids are doing. Because first one, everything was hard because there was nobody there. But the second one starts figuring out how to walk because there's this other human walking. And then the third one figures out how to walk because there's two people walking and there's fun things that they want to do and they want to be there. So they figure out what they have to do to climb those mountains to get there. And by the fifth one, I can imagine that's the power of coaching. They don't really need to learn it. There's four other kids in the household modeling all the behaviors. So that's why it's so important to be aware of it from the beginning because every kid will just precipitate the issues down further if you don't kind of keep it all under control at the same time. Yeah, I've noticed that over the period of time, they've gotten faster and faster. An example, you know, this like morning. riding a bike is a similar one as well. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. I mean, my, my, even my six-year-old, he struggles with certain things. You know, he's got a brother that's sixteen, so it's a little bit different dynamic between him and him. But you know, he struggles with riding a bike and doing some things for the very first time. Like this morning, he was nervous because he has to walk across the stage and show off his one hundred days of school T-shirt that we made for him. You know. And so he's like got stage fright. He's like, I'm very nervous, you know, but his brother and his sister that are two and four years younger than him, they're fearless. They don't, they don't even think from that perspective. And I know that there's social pressure at this point and that he's experiencing now that they don't, but they did everything faster. They started speaking faster. They started walking faster. I mean, they're jumping off the couch faster and it's, <laughs> it's That's a plug actually so, for your true success yeah. because true yeah. success doesn't come from figuring it out on your own. True success comes from, just following the path of others in the, in the, on the right road. Like um, when I talk about talking to strangers and like the power of just having the ability to talk to anybody, you quickly realize that every problem in the world has been solved, at least real ones that we need to do to transform our life. Every problem has been solved. You just need to find the person that can help transform you and shortcut you a few steps. And that's the power of talking to people. And that's the power of true success. Like your success will come from by continuing to create a network and that creates friendships, that creates opportunity, those opportunities will build your success naturally without you really even trying. Yeah. So let's shift gears here for a second and talk about how you got into podcasting. How I got into podcasting. So I was a podcast addict, I would say. Um, But it probably began with a episode of John Lee Dumas. Don't remember the number, but Larry Hagner from the Good Dad Project was on there. And I was like, who the heck is this guy? This guy sounds like the big brother I never had. And he was talking about having his own podcast and running a dad's group. And I was like, this sounds amazing. I've never had anything like this. And this was like maybe 31. So like right on the other side of my midlife crisis. And so I got hooked on his podcast, dove into his Facebook group, kind of just started helping people in his Facebook group. And then I, I, he started a mastermind called The Alliance. I'm still in that today, four years and just getting hooked on growth mindset, community, helping others, friendships. That helped me become a better dad, but then it also helped me become wiser within the dad space and understanding of how to help people. 
but then also recognizing my gift of words as well and my ability to use my colloisms to transform someone's perspective to see something. And then it really didn't hit me. Like there was always this limiting belief that I, my voice isn't worthy of something, anything level of podcasting. And so when I was trying to be a blogger, I was really good at blogging, but I didn't find my voice, like using my voice. And it wasn't until I went to MIC 2018 that I started just went in with this idea of like, I think I'm going to do a, a veteran dad life coach or I had like four other podcasts that I was doing. I bought a ticket to podcast movement that August prior of uh, 2018. So I was like, something's going to happen because I'm going to a podcast conference and I need either to have a podcast or I need to be able to say I'm going to figure it out there. And once I started telling my story, I realized that this was a raw motion of helping dads and that I could do something impactful with my voice and words. And that power empowered me that September 2018 on the plane ride home, I wrote my business plan and came up with my mission statement to bring every dad home. And then for the next three months, I spent my time working at Starbucks at 5 a.m. on the weekends and in the mornings and then launched my podcast on January 1st. Yeah, I think that's why we probably connected so easily in the very beginning. You know, we, we actually had this conversation uh, a few days ago. And as you were just saying that, it kind of dawned on me. Because, um, you know, we have a lot of similarities in life, but you took a leap of faith and began to pursue something that was important to you and that you were passionate about. And you took basically the things that you love in life and turned it into the work you love, really. And, yeah. you know, you're, you're really pursuing that. It's incredible, you know, be able to take that leap of faith. And, and we've talked about fear earlier to overcome the challenges and the fears moving forward. And I'm sure that was scary. You know, it's like getting on the radio, you know, talking, what do people think I'm going to sound like, you know, am I going to jack this up? You know, I hated my so sound of my own voice. It's, <laughs> I was like, I don't have a voice for radio. I've actually had someone message me and said, my voice sounds like audio chocolate. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think it, but okay, I'll take it as a compliment. I'm, I'm sure it's just my voice inside my head. But, and I've always been a good talker. I've just had this massive fear of rejection. that kind of comes from uh, high school where when you ask a girl out and you don't feel confident and you get rejected, mm-hmm. like that really put kind of like this road closed in front of me. Like you can't go past this road because you're going to get rejected. So every person I would talk to, it doesn't matter, boy or girl, um, I was just going to get they were not going to like me. So I just stopped doing it. And if I felt comfortable around you, I could probably talk forever. But that, that initial fear of getting no, that, that literally held me back for 15 years. And the one thing through all, there's two things that have transformed my life between 30 and 35, especially now as I look back on the outside of freedom on losing my job, friendships and talking to people. Those two vehicles have created the amount, enough goodwill and opportunity in my life right now that I'm confident with this next pivot, I'm going to land on my feet and be exactly where I've always wanted to be. And friendships is where you can create opportunities. And you just by showing up without expectations, just showing up and helping people, having a conversation, being a friend when someone needs it. And then, but just being able to keep going and find new people and new conversations. One of my favorite uh, conversations was there was this guy in the terminal at O'Hare. He looked interesting. Uh, And I get on the plane and finds out United gave him a double ticketed seat. And so he ends up losing his seat and comes back. And I have the only seat left on the airplane next to me. So he sit next to me. The old me would have never have said hello. 
never, never in a million years. Even if I thought he was interesting and maybe could have good conversation. Well, the new me is I always try to, to say hello to new people at the airport. Turns out he was a Marine officer, served in Iraq, actually had lost a few Marines to suicide. So he resonated with my podcast. We talked for the entire plane ride to New Orleans. That I would have completely missed out on that moment happening and adding depth to my life or proving my life can move forward if I just wouldn't have said hello. Like true success really begins with hello. Yeah. No, I if you're at the very beginning and if this is your very first episode you've ever heard and you're like, what? how do you create true success in your life? Just start saying hello and seeing what grows. Well, yeah, that leads me to my next question, which is what's the one thing that you need to do right now that scares you the most? Ooh, what leads me to the most scares me the most? Ooh, this is, I'll give you, this will be a good one. So the hardest part of having a job and trying to do a side hustle that creates money is proving to your brain, especially when you haven't had people around you to help invalidate it, that you could actually sell something from your value as a person on this world and create money from it. So the biggest thing, it's not necessarily fear for me right now, but it's always been, because now it's about survival. So now I'm in a flight or flight mode almost. So I'll take action without fear. But before it was always like, well, I already have money. Why do I need to prove to the universe that I can make money with my other value? And that's something that's really hard for people trying to pivot into something entrepreneurial, especially if you're in the job world, because someone gave you a value that's your fixed value and your mind assimilates this information. That's been my biggest fear. And so going on to the next pivot is being able to say that I'm going to charge $2,000 for an hour of my time to give my wisdom on stage. Yeah, I can see that. I've kind of been through that stage before when I first started my coaching business and uh, always asking somebody for some cash and trying to trust that, you know, you're trusting your confidence, you know, and say, yeah, I am worth this. You know, I can validate and value my personal experiences and my ability to help people get to the next level and, you know, pursue success. And I would say, you know, four or five years ago, when I first started doing that, it was a very scary conversation to have, even start coaching somebody and say, what if I fail them, you know? It, yeah. what's, and it's your it's it's always something in the back of your mind but you learn to kind of let it dissolve a little bit and then you start to recognize and even when I first had to step on a stage you know and do public speaking I couldn't even walk into a Toastmasters room you know like mm-hmm. I knew the meeting was going on I wanted to go in there but I just couldn't bring myself to even go across that threshold and it took me you know a lot of time and then you know the first time I tried it uh I got scared. And then the second time I went in, but I didn't make the commitment and I just ran out of there as soon as it was over. And I didn't want to talk to nobody because I was like, ah, I don't want to get roped into this. You know, I don't want to face my fears yet. And then three years later, here I am when the desire is there. And it, it's like, now's go time. You have to do this. You can yeah. mess around. And I had eight months between finding out Toastmasters existed and actually going to my first meeting. Yeah. And I was I mean, all excited when I first found out. I was like, Oh man, a whole club. There was a local one here in Janesville. And I just sat on it and sat on it because it's easier to feel warm and comfy and um, and not take action on that fear. And now a year and a half later, like that's what I'm saying. I've been training for this, joining my Toastmasters. I'm now the president of it. I practice starving my fear two times a month. Um, like that's been part of that the entire time now. Yeah, I would say, you know, I, I, the only thing I, you know, if I was to regret anything in my life, it would be not getting started sooner because I, that, a year after I joined, you know, I 
hadn't done much other than, you know, the table topics, the impromptus, but then I ended up winning a couple of speaking contests, you know, impromptu speaking contests. And I was just like, what was I so afraid of? I just proved to myself that I can do this. And so yeah. if I would have just. You're only exists like right on that edge where you jump out of an airplane. And then once you're out, you just feel the freeing feeling. It's just yeah. that moment <laughs> leading up to it. So where my do you... biggest, biggest regret would be, uh, not doing something with my three years in Okinawa. I sat so much, sat so many times just sitting there playing stupid Xbox <laughs> or just going drinking. And I, I, that three years, I could have created something beautiful with that amount of time. Focus. I wasn't deploying a lot. I had more money because you, you're living over there. You get cola, you get all these extra things. And I just sat there doing nothing with it. Yeah. That's probably the only thing that I regret is not use because as when you like when you have kids, life just gets it's like living under an in, like it's like living in an instapot sometimes. So I reflect on those three years as and I wouldn't have probably thought back then that they were easy or free or I was had a whole bunch of time freedom. But man, from this perspective, I was just sitting on a gold mine of time. And that's my new currency going into this next pivot is time. And right now I value time more than I do money. And I'm trying to capitalize on this opportunity of transitioning to make sure that I can land on my feet and make that make a go of it. Yeah. So I want to ask you this. So vision is always important to me, you know, and having an outlook on life, you know, and where you, where you intend to go and having that destination, because if you, if you don't know where you're going, then you're just kind of drifting, you know, you're like a boat in the sea without a rudder is what I always say. So where do you think you'll find you in 10 or 20 years? 10 or 20 i was ready for like three or five um <laughs> i'll build you up so three years my goal uh it started i would say six months ago so we're six months into it my, my goal was to be on good morning america in three years that was like my first like i've made it moment after that i would say um at five years i would say i want to be just completely free with time location and money that I'm not held down by those restrictions in life to be able to, to choose to do my life on my own terms and be able to not feel like I owe my time or value to someone else that I don't want to trade that for. Like the one thing on this other side of this job is like the transaction of time, money, and memory with my family doesn't compute anymore. Like spending eight hours trading that time for money, like can't be getting those memories back for my kids. That just, it's, it's almost flatlined. I don't believe in it anymore. So at 10 years, by then my kids are going to be definitely in teenagers, definitely want to do their own things. But I want to be in a phase where we are just consistently in adventure mode. Like my pipe dream is to, because my wife's a teacher, so that's pretty much a constant in my life. I want to be able to say in the summer, we just go on vacation for three months and we come home when school starts. Like that's probably really where I want to be. There's lots of things around that. But as far as like the desires that drive me right now, that desire to go on a two and a half month vacation and just Airbnb it from one place to the next and it just completely connect with my family. That, that is my pipe dream for, and beyond that, I don't really know. I, I would say beyond that, I would just say, I want to know that I'm a person of that is remembered as someone with a, with a big heart and that he was always willing to give it freely. And that when you heard Ben speak, you felt connected to something that maybe you didn't feel connected in that, that I am able to do that on a stage of 10,000 people. That's awesome. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. So let me ask you this. How do you define true success? How do I find true success? I would say 
I measure it, but I don't know if I have a definition for it, but I measure it by the quality of people that I'm attracting in my life. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost like a magnetism that if, if you're positively charged, or maybe an electron is better, if you're pos- or an atom is better. If you're the proton of the atom, you're positively attracting positive things in your life. And those positive things will, all, will almost certainly create success. You can't help but fail. If you have friends, if you're attracting quality people and quality thoughts, but if you're on the negative side, then you're almost repelling all of those different things when they come in your life. And so for me, success is just about continuing to keep myself positively charged and so that I'm working and going in the right direction and being able to just continue to be, to create friendships because honestly, friendships is the one thing. If there was one thing, if I removed everything in my life and I had to only keep one thing, my understanding of how friendships can change my life is the one thing I would keep from the last five years. And that has essentially made me the person I am. It's grown me in my own understanding. It's added depth and wisdom to myself. And that is essentially where I see myself. And that recipe, I never really see failing because even as social media trends continue, like the next trend is getting back face to face. Like people are like flirting on social media. But there's nothing like the power of, like, even in MIC, like, you've talked about it three or four times, like, how present we both were in those moments and how that felt and how much you felt connected to your heart. That's what's going to transform your life. So success is really about how well are you connected to the message and the, the itches that are currently on your heart. Because my podcast was an itch. I started scratching it. Now that I'm in this public speaking, that's been a big itch. And now I'm taking my 10-year goal and making it in six months, but through this gift of losing my job, all of those things are going to be my success in the future. All right. I appreciate that. You know, and that's hopefully going to be the the signature question. I mean, of this podcast here in the future, because I think true success, you know, when you boils down to it, it's still different from everybody, but it, it comes from a place of meaning. And so I'm curious on what that is for a lot of people. And I want to say that, uh, you know, that that connection that you talk about, I just want to remind everybody and not remind everybody, but let everybody know that, you know, you you make that connection and you make a positive impact right off the get go. Because when I first met you for the very first time, (laughs) you gave me the biggest hug and it almost shocked me. But, you know, you feel so good after you give those hugs, you know, and that was just it was amazing, you know, and just this big old Russian bear hug. And uh I was just like, whoa, for a minute. And but I'm like, ah, I feel better now. You know, somebody actually gave me a hug. And it was it's just amazing. So I mean, you and know, it's not something you expect. And the crazy part about that last story is that was from the Dad's Edge Summit, the first one I went to with super nervous, the online versions, meeting these people dads in real life, start handshaking, people quickly hug me. I was aware of it and I was ready for it. So it wasn't like weirded out, but I've never been a hugger my entire life. Nobody in my family is a hugger. It was always kind of just weirded me out the entire life. And by the end of that conference, it was two and a half days. I was known as the guy that could give good hugs. And since then, I've just kind of owned it. And it's my thing. And even on my speaker profile, I'm pretty sure I'm going to put as the end of like tagline that uh, the Marine that gives good hugs. Because one, those two (laughs) things in that sentence really probably shouldn't exist. And I think it will spark enough curiosity of like, what does it mean when a Marine gives a big hug? Because a Marine that cries, a Marine that talks about his emotions are the exact opposite of that poster board Marine that you see. Uh And I think that's kind of like my presence, my power, and my gift. 
and um, hate to bust the stereotype out there, but I am not the stereotype, but taking everything that I learned from the Marine Corps and combining it with my heart and my emotions, that really has kind of been my, uh, my secret sauce as I've gone in and find, found my voice. Yeah, it's amazing. I, uh, you changed my life that day. So <laughs> now it's like, I'm okay with hugging people. It's like, I was like, Oh my goodness. I, this, this, you were not comfortable with them before? Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've never been comfortable with hugging people. Even when, you know, with the ladies, I mean, you know, people want to hug and I'm like, uh, you know, I don't, it was awkward for me. But after that, I was just like, you know what? You go to Europe where they kiss you on the cheek that I still haven't crossed that threshold yet. Yeah. So I was like, if this guy can do it, then, you know, I'm just going to embrace it. So you, you actually taught me something that day in that moment. I mean, just that split moment, you, you changed everything for me. Um, I didn't know that. So I appreciate yeah. you letting me know that. Yeah, well, now you know it's out there. It's the first I'm sure your wife is appreciated more huggy uh, Kirby Ingles. Oh, it's not a hugger, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you need to convert her. Everyone her, needs to be. Yeah, her love language is gifts of affirmation. So, or not gifts of affirmation, but gifts. Um, words of affirmation is probably second for her, but uh, gifts is the first thing. So, um, so, you know, we have this idea, you know, throughout history, people have talked about creating this ripple effect. And there's probably uh, hundreds of people that have been quoted, you know, talking about, but most famously Mother Teresa, uh, where she actually stated, and I believe it's attributed to her, where she said, I cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the lake and create several ripple effects. Um, and so what is going to be your ripple effect? My ripple effect will be bringing a dad home to the power and presence of being a military father and understanding that the best gift you can give the world is giving your kids the depth and wisdom that you learned in the military and then helping them understand how they fit into the world and then help and encourage them so they can go out in the world and change it. Pretty powerful, man. So we're, I'm going to have to listen to that again. Then. I was going to listen to it again and write it down <laughs> as well because I've never said it that way. Man. Pretty yeah, good. that's pretty powerful. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that and pick it apart and then really analyze it now. So anything that you haven't said that you would like to say now before we go ahead and end this? I would end it by something related to friendships and how that's transformed my life. That for 100,000 years, men have survived on this world in tribes. And it's only in the last 200 that we've transitioned to a world where men can do it alone. But men were never hardwired to do it alone that your marriage was never designed to carry the things that you bring to it and that you need men in your life to bring these two, not your marriage. And you need that strong power of a man in your life to help lift up what you can't lift. And their life will give you more than you can handle almost at least once a week. You need to be able to share the load with other men. And if you think about it, that's what they did in tribes. No one was alone. They all learned, they hunted, they gathered, they sharpened each other's skills by doing it together. And you're only limiting your own success, your true success, by not being able to share the load and give your gift to someone else who needs it, but then also receive someone else's gift that you need. That's the magic of a tribe. That's the magic of your masculinity. That's the magic of transforming your life. Thank you again. You know, um, And it's an honor for you or for me to have you here as guest number one on the truth i'm honored to be number one yeah i had to you know you're you're the guy who pushed me you know and and got me over that line um i wrote a post yesterday about uh jim Bowie, who uh was the guy across the line whenever uh colonel travis asked you know who was going to stay and fight and jim Bowie had two men carry him out of the bed that he was sick and ill in and actually you know 
uh, and cross that line because he was going to, and you're the guy that kind of helped push me or pull me across that line. So yeah, you, you need other people in your life to identify those blind spots. There's a good Einstein. I'm a big Einstein guy. So he theorized that you could travel back in time if you could bend light in on itself at the same point, which you can't yet, which is why coaching is so powerful because you need someone else to reflect that light back for you to see what you're not seeing. And I reflected back your own power, Kirby, and realize and help you realize that your voice needs to be heard out there in more digital forms and analog. Well, I thank you for that. And so where can everybody find you? So it's fairly simple. I'm on Instagram at Ben underscore Colloy. We're at, at Military Veteran Dad on Instagram. The website's militaryveterandad.com. And my email is Ben at militaryveterandad.com as well. On Twitter at Ben Colloy as well. Um, you can also even just have a conversation. I love talking to people. It's one of my favorite pastimes. It lifts me up if I'm having a bad day because I just get to connect with someone and hear their story, add my own depth to my own view. I think over the probably the last two years, I've probably had over 60 conversations with dads on my commute, which I don't have anymore, but I am not necessarily against having conversations anymore. But those conversations have helped renewed my focus and help validate and help sharpen my skills through all the things that I'm trying to do in my life. And you're always one conversation away from something amazing coming to your life. And you're going to miss 100% of those 100% of those shots you don't take. So always just say hello. All right, thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. And uh, I've got a ton of value out of this already. And I know everybody else did. I mean, you've, I mean, just blessed me and, and pushed me a little bit further down the road towards your success. Now on to number two. Okay. All right, we'll see you soon, Ben. That's it for today's episode, but before you go, I want to offer you the complete guide to personal growth. This free 14-page ebook guides you through the essential components necessary to revolutionize the way you live that exceeds expectations and achieves goals. You'll learn how to develop powerful morning rituals. I share with you five apps that get you amazing results. Find meaning and purpose in your work and three additional ways to stay positive throughout the day. And then some tips on how to overcome procrastination and even more. So don't wait, secure your copy today and begin revolutionizing the way you live. You can grab that free guide by going to bit.ly forward slash personal dash growth dash guide. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash personal-growth-guide. I'll leave a link in the show notes so you can access it. And I hope that you got tons of value out of today's broadcast and I'll see you next time.